Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Body Bags with Joseph Scott Morgan. If you have a basement, uh, you know, things to be looking for in your basement, maybe tools, uh, maybe old furniture, maybe. I don't know. Uh, in my case, a man cave. Never had one. Always wanted one. But the one thing you don't expect to find is the head of your son in a bucket along with his genitalia. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags. Dave, I, I had to reach out to you, my friend, because I wanted to have a, a brief update on this trial that is going on in Wisconsin involving Taylorship Business. When you sent me the video of Taylorship Business in court making her fingers into a gun and shooting it at the judge and laughing, I thought, holy moly, what is going on? And so I started digging into what's happening in the courtroom with Taylorship Business, who is standing trial for the murder of her boyfriend i guess is what we call him um she is accused of murdering this man cutting his head off gutting him and leaving his uh head in a bucket with his private parts for his mother to find that's where we start with this story how far do you dig the hole joe yeah i you know we we knew some things um, the, uh, uh, you know, I guess it was, was it back in June? I guess first part of June. It was that we, we, mm-hmm. we laid down the, uh, the original case right? because it was so shocking to me at that point in time. Oh my Lord. I didn't expect to hear what I heard. We've got a succession of people that have come on the stand at this point in time, including the medical examiner, um, uh, there in this County that got up and testified and, and let me give you an insight. There's one, there's one quote that has come out, uh, it's allegedly attributed to her. Have you, have you ever loved something so much that you wanted to kill it? I don't know what to make of that. And I've, I've had a lot of things that have come across my desk over the years and certainly things I've talked about that leave you kind of dumbfounded, but that comment in and of itself, uh, is, is quite striking and maybe insightful to a great degree, but from a forensic standpoint, um, there's something about this case that I'm very well pleased about. I've talked about previously on body bags how forensic pathologists rarely come out to crime scenes because there's not enough of them. Um, there are multiple deaths happening all the time, and the forensic pathologist generally is back at the morgue doing examinations while the investigators are out processing scenes and you know uh, looking into cases. In this particular case, the medical examiner, uh, the forensic pathologist, physically arrived at this site in Green Bay, Wisconsin, because it was just 
it was so fragmented, and I mean that in a literal sense, when it comes to the body, that from an anatomical standpoint, you have to be able to make sense out of what you have. It's very simple, very simple arithmetic, what you have and what you don't have. And remember, there was this cryptic statement, and this is paraphrasing, that Shabiznes actually stated as she was being led off in this particular case, good luck trying to find everything. Um, and they had a devil of a time. And you can imagine when you walk into a scene and you've got, first off, you're starting with with the head in the bucket. And we knew at that, when we laid down the first episode that he had been castrated and, or at least his penis was removed. But now there's actually this moment in time when there's lead detective on the stand, Dave, and he is saying that when he first observed this bucket that keep in mind that this poor kid's mama actually found when she went down into this basement, um, Shad, uh, Thyron is actually living, uh, with his, his mother and she goes down into the basement because she had heard the door slam late at night and gets up, goes down the basement. She's looking for him. I guess she calls out to him and she's the one that, actually looks into the bucket and finds this. She is the one that called 911. And I'm trying to figure out if she was just walking down there looking for something and saw the bucket and saw the head and then covered the bucket with a towel. Uh, it's hard to make heads or tails of it uh, at this point in time, but I do know it was it was almost like her own way of checking for things. She was right. checking a on the status of her adult son who lives with her. And she came down the staircase. She called out to him. And this is what she discovered. I don't think that she had manipulated the head in any way. And what I mean by that, put her hands on the head. You know, as you can imagine, right. she ran off in terror and called 911. But what the detective actually says is that once once this head was discovered and they began to kind of document it, which is what we do at the scene, they carefully removed the head from the bucket. And he states that it was at that moment, Tom, that he realized that uh, there were a set of male genitalia in the bucket. So what we're talking about here is the penis and the testicles. And what has also been described by the medical examiner, the forensic pathologist at the scene, there are these kind of links of torn flesh that are in there as well, independent of these items. And that goes to another part of this case that we had no idea about. But what do you mean by torn flesh, Joe? Uh, well, um, oh, and let me add this as well. There were also knives found as well uh, contained therein. And they're, of course, blood saturated. And there's what appears, according to them, a certain amount of blood in the bucket as well. And that comes into play in this case very significantly. But when you begin to examine his body and what the forensic pathologist made note of is that when they began to examine his body, once they removed everything that they had from the scene back to the autopsy suite, it looked as though, uh, <sighs> This individual had attempted to fillet his back, and uh, this is something that's so over the top relative to mutilation. And, you know, and even the 
you know, aside from the dismemberment, you're talking about an individual that took the time, take a knife, and literally peel the skin in certain locations, primarily off of the back of this young man. And then there, these items are all deposited all about this area down there, including organs that had, according to the medical examiner, um, had been physically removed through these really jagged incisions that she had made uh, anteriorly, which means on the front, uh, through the abdomen, this sort of thing. And, you know, <laughs> here, here's, here's kind of the kicker that was really quite striking to me, Dave. This Shad's right foot had been removed. It had been dismembered at the ankle. And Dave, when the forensic pathologist did their examination, they actually found, they actually found the foot in this kid's chest. Just let that sink in just for a moment that this had been done to this kid. And it was, it was just, it was beyond the pale. Please tell me that there's a way to know whether or not this man was dead or alive when this started taking place, the filleting, the chopping off of things. Is there a way to know? Yeah, yeah. And and this is brought out and I'm you know, that's an insightful question. It's something that everybody wants to know, and that's important here. If there's any kind of if there's any kind of solace that I think that maybe family members can take in this, according to the medical examiner, uh, one of the things that you're looking for when you go for your examination, you'll refer to focal areas of hemorrhage. Um, you know, if you have an incised area, and it, uh, a place that's been cut, they refer to it as an incised area. You're looking for areas of hemorrhage in that tissue. So just imagine that uh, you take a knife and you cut uh, cut an apple, for instance, okay? When you part that apple, if you don't completely you know, slice it in two and you just look at the edges of it. That's what they do at autopsy. So when they're examining these injuries that have been generated by the perpetrator, allegedly, that those incised areas, those linear incisions that are being made in this case, they're actually curvilinear because they're so jagged. You've got some that are straight, some that are kind of, um, uh, curved, but yet communicate with the the straight lines. It's a very confusing case. Um, they saw no evidence of hemorrhage in those areas. So that means um, that he was not bleeding. He was not, his heart was not functioning at that moment in time. So this was done, this was what's referred to as a post-mortem event. Uh, you know, and we can sit here all day long and begin to try to consider, uh, uh, you know, what in the world uh, was going through their mind when this individual was doing all of this, you know, in the postmortem state, because this comes out to be a sexual assault. Uh, she's actually being charged. Uh, this she business person is actually being charged in this particular circumstance. But here's, here's a big tell as well. And uh, the medical examiner brought this out too, Dave. When they examined... <sighs> 
this poor young man's head that was removed from the bucket. They took the head to the medical examiner's office. Um, the head was still very much uh, uh, congested to the point where the head was purple in color. And what that means is that's most often associated with an asphyxial death. Many people will say, well, how in the world do you know that that's associated with asphyxiation? Well, in this particular case, there was a uh, what looks like to be a chain, like something you would see, kind of a chrome chain that's used and generally associated with animals that apparently had been used as some type of ligature around his neck. And as blood is being essentially prevented from passing through the rest of the body, Dave, it backs up into the head and the head just becomes wildly congested. And there's, you know, uh, uh, his, in, even in the postmortem state, there was evidence of uh, particular hemorrhages where the little blood vessels had burst, you know, even along the gum line, uh, in his face, along around his eyes, these sorts of areas. So there was a tremendous amount of force being exerted on his body as she is on top of him. And I think probably where he is face down as she's doing this and choking him out with this thing. And it left such a signature. Um, here, here's, here's probably here, here's where this becomes problematic. And just some, now, <laughs> now here's where it gets problematic. Yeah, where, Joe, I'm having trouble <laughs> digesting what I you know, just it's, said. It's very difficult. Um, but this is the takeaway, um, Dave, to give you an idea, um, the human body has about, okay, the next time you go to the grocery store, and you go buy milk, and you go to buy milk. Uh, look at the gallon jug that's on the shelf, okay? And add uh, one of those half-gallon boxes to that one gallon. And that's about the total amount of blood that an adult male has in their body. They, they, there was no blood left. There was no blood left in this young man's body. So, you know, one of the things that has come into question in this trial um, was was this a, a drug-fueled event? And what the medical examiner was faced with, and what we normally do at autopsy is we take a, a large 10-gauge uh, needle. And a 10-gauge needle, remember when you're talking about gauges, the smaller the number, the larger the bore. Okay, so a 10-gauge needle is very large. And that's what we use in the morgue to draw out blood out of the aorta and the heart generally, or to some of the peripheral areas. And we get it directly out of the vessels. Well, there was no blood to draw at all in this particular case. So interestingly enough, that bucket comes into play, Dave. All they had, and thank goodness the medical examiner was out there, um, all they had was that bucket. They had to be very careful with it. And there was a tremendous amount of blood in the bottom of that bucket. So the medical examiner actually drew up a sample out of that bucket and tested it. Well, it came back for cocaine, for cocaine metabolite, which means that the cocaine is actually being processed in the system. It had been there for a while and meth. And then you had the active ingredient from uh, THC. So he had 
weed on board, and then there was nicotine. Here's where it gets dicey, particularly from a legal standpoint. How do you know what had previously been in that bucket? And could it be cross-contaminated with anything else? Because when you're looking at a red liquid substance, you can say that that's blood if you want to, but you're at the risk of running afoul with a court and with attorneys, particularly defense attorneys. How do you know that's blood? You can't just visualize it and say, because if there's anything else in that bucket, say someone else's blood, animal blood, or what if the bucket had been used uh, to contain uh, cleaning solutions, you know, that you're going to mop the floor with or do anything? Could it be cross-contaminated with anything? And that's what the ME was faced with. But will the cocaine look the same if it had been ingested and was in the body versus if there was blood in the bucket and cocaine fell in there? Uh, wow, that is an excellent question. Uh, and would it would would there be evidence that it could potentially, if you find something like a white powdery substance, perhaps floating around on the top <laughs> that wasn't dissolved in there, which I would find highly unlikely to happen. Yeah. Uh, and from a metabolism standpoint, it is not going to appear the same as it would if it had been processed through the body. Here's another thing. They did find a meth pipe in the basement and they did find meth. As a matter of fact, when they went to collect the meth, uh, they picked up the bag and meth actually poured out onto the table. Now, just set your mind onto that for a second. Um, so the, as you can imagine, this is a, a very uh, disordered environment, which is something that you see. This is a disorganized killing. Um, and there was but planning. It would take a long time. It would. And that's what the medical examiner pointed out in this case. This is not something, again, I hate to keep going back to this. I swear, my friend, we have talked about so many dismemberment cases. Oh, I know. But. You know, the one the one element, two elements that go into dismemberment are tools. Do you have the appropriate tools to do do this with? Uh, remember, not too recently, I mean, not too long ago, uh, you and I actually covered a case of chainsaw dismemberment. Right. Um, which is quick, very messy, but quick. Uh, and then, you know, you have a case like this where, you know, you don't, she doesn't have scalpels. But there's evidence of cutting and sawing, and these are kitchen knives that were being used, including something that the that the detectives are referring to as a what appears to be a pocket knife, as well. Mm-hmm. So there's multiple knives that are found down there. But to add some order to this environment, let me kind of tell you what the medical examiner did. They the medical examiner brought in these sterile cloths, okay and laid them out on the floor. And it's almost like if you can imagine going to a garage and they're taking apart a transmission or a motor and they've got the parts kind of organized, laid out before you, that's what they had to do with this poor man's body. He, the medical examiner being on the scene anatomically began to try to organize this and could take a broad view of what, he had at the scene and what might still be missing uh, from this young man's body. I looked up what the medical examiner said on the stand and he said, this is a direct quote. Now we have decapitation. We have dismemberment. We have transection of the torso. And then he said, 
we have entered inside the body through various cuts. The victim's organs have been removed one by one. Right. How can you tell that when you've got body parts strewn everywhere, a body cut in half, decapitated, a foot crammed into his chest cavity, and now you can put it all back together and tell us that they were removed one by one? Yeah, you can. And here, let me just kind of give you the measure of what we do in the morgue. There's two ways that we do uh, what's referred to as a prosection in the morgue or an evisceration. An evisceration is where the organs are removed from the body, and there's two methods that are employed. You either do it by each individual um, uh, organ, where we open up with a classic Y-shaped incision, take the breastplate off of the body, and then we start with the heart and the lungs. You know, we remove those, we cut through the diaphragm, take the, uh, the liver out. Then generally we'll go for the spleen, then the pancreas. Sometimes we'll leave the pancreas attached to the spleen. Uh, we look for the adrenals, which sit superior to the kidneys. We take those out. Then we take both kidneys out, generally individual. And you have to make sure that the uh, the ureters are still attached, which is what you know the urine is going to pass through into the bladder. And then we'll go for the bowel. And we'll do all of that uh, individually. Okay, so there's very specific cuts that you make or incisions within the body to take each organ out. Now. The second methodology is what's referred to, and I'm talking about in a clinical sense, is what's referred to as on-block or uh, uh, the Rogatansky method, which is where you start all the way up at the windpipe, uh, the trachea, and you cut down the spine, and you take everything out, all the way down, all the way down to the bladder, and you just lay it out before you. And it's very intact, and that way you can appreciate all of the anatomy outside of the body you can kind of expand it out take a look at it and that's not what they're seeing apparently when the doctor did their examination um they this individual that was there at the scene and then back at the morgue and it's important that you know that because it's the same person from beginning to end that handles this and that's that's for continuity that's what you want um they were able to appreciate that the organs had either been um incised or excised from their where they're seated in the body through cuts uh, and probably through pulling as well, almost a ripping out. And so her hand would have had to go into the spaces that she had opened up and pull them out. And maybe she used a knife to do this, or maybe she just kind of yanked them out. But, you know, kind of the exclamation point, on all of this, uh, as you know, one final flourish, you know, she takes his, his foot and stuffs it in his chest cavity. Um, the fact that she took this body though, Dave, and transected it, which if you will, if folks that are listening to this, will kind of think about how a belt wraps around your waist. Okay. Um, and it's, it's circumferential, which means the belt goes around the body. Uh, this means that you think about an incision that would follow a belt line and that's a transection where the body is cut all the way around and the body is essentially separated uh, at that, at that point. But in, in the end, my question is this, when it comes to tailorship business, 
it is being put forth that this was drug-fueled, that this was as a result of meth usage. Are, are her reactions in court, are they still meth-fueled? I think that we have to ask ourselves that, you know, making a fake gun, you know, where on camera at least it appears that she's pointing this at the judge, uh, giggling uh, when they begin to talk about finding the head and this rough dissection and this bloodbath that has been left in her wake in the present context. Is that meth-fueled still? Or is this something much more sinister. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags. Body Bags.